Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and the last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. In this podcast, I chat to Alan Kelly, who runs the Agile on the Beach conference. We talk about how he got into conference speaking, what it's like to run conferences as well, and his thoughts on why you should never be worried about giving the same talk more than once. Alan, welcome to the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast. It's uh, wonderful to have you on today. And thank you for inviting me. It's always nice to talk to a like-minded person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we we shall find out. I'm going to start with a question about reusing slides. So in one Uh, of your recent talks, you started with an apology. You apologized for giving a new talk. Yes. (laughs) So walk us through that. So if you go back to the early 2000s, when I started speaking at conf- user, first of all, a couple of user groups and then conferences. I felt as if every talk had to be new. I had to have something new to say. I had to have a new angle. I had to have a, a new slide. I had to have a new message. You know, I, I, everything was an opportunity for me to say stuff. And these people, this audience deserved something new. Okay. Over time, I started to realize that actually when I repeated talks, because although I didn't want to repeat talks, you start repeating talks because people say, hey, I saw you give that talk over there. Could you give it at our conference? Or um, people record them and you get feedback on them. And I started to realize that when you've done a talk a couple of times, it changes. At basic level, your timing gets a lot better. You almost always have too much material. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the very best, you can deliver the same material in less time. Even better, you start to say, that slide doesn't work. That slide works well. There's a point here people always want to know more about. And you start to change material. And also, I try, I may not be very good at it, but I try to inject some humor into my talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that can yeah. sometimes upset Very. people. You know, uh, for, I don't speak in the US ever. Uh, so the Trump jokes are okay in Europe. Oh, yes. Uh, well, that's what, yeah, that's, um, and yeah, lots of material there. There you go. <laughs> and I, I sometimes think speaking at a conference is a little bit like being a stand up and uh, you're trying to entertain. And over time, you start to see opportunities for jokes and you start to see where you can milk things. And one of my recent presentations, one, I actually have a picture of Edward Heath, the British Prime Minister in 1970, 74 in it. And uh, I, I then get to make a joke about him taking the UK into Europe. The point I'm trying to illustrate is how times have changed between oh, 1970. Yeah, yeah. You're a brave man. <laughs> going into the politics. I have to say, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to your question. So I, I work out the timing, yeah. I work out the jokes. And so when I give a new presentation, I don't quite know where the jokes are going to fit in, where the laughs are going to come. I'm not sure about the timing. Um, I haven't got the same rhythm. 
And so now, 180 degrees reverse to where I was when I started doing this years ago. I feel bad when I'm giving a new talk because it, it's not going to flow so well. It's bound to be rubbish. I mean, <laughs> <it's really bad. laughs> Although I have to say, um, I did watch that talk. Yeah. It was still pretty good. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, there was a little bit of reuse in there, you know, and I had, I had given it a bit of a practice. So hopefully, thank you. <laughs> I would say I have gone through a similar process of this initial feeling of guilt. And maybe that's because you see some of the really, amazing speakers where it's their full-time job, you know, and, and yeah. you, you think you should be like Tony Robbins or something and, and giving these um, world-changing speeches. Oh, God, and yes. you feel guilty that you're not doing it. And you, They've got to listen to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you feel guilty that you're not giving new material. But the reality is it's, uh, you have to practice. You have to practice. Yeah. And it's yeah. new to the audience. The, the audience is going to be different. And even like... This recent conference I was at Oradev in Malmo, when the organizers talked about giving a presentation, they said, we'd really like to give your, your presentation about no projects. And I said, well, you know, I was at your conference three years ago and I did that presentation. The presentation's moved on and it's changed, it's changed quite a bit. But you know, a lot of it is the same as I did three years ago. Aren't your audience going to be? And they were like, no, we still think it's a relevant topic. It's good that you've moved it on, but we're going to have new people at the conference. We're really happy with it. That's quite enlightened for an organizer. Yes. And you're a conference organizer as well. We'll come to that in a bit. But I mean, there's quite a few conferences, certainly ones that I've put proposals into where they insist that it's new material. Yeah. Yeah. What's driving that thinking, do you think? So some ideas. I guess some conferences want to emphasize the novel the new. And that may be where they're coming at there. I think also it might be a question of audience. One of the things I've found doing Agile on the beach is we always have a lot of new people. I'm not quite sure the stats, but say it's 50% repeat, 50% new. There's always people who are there for the first time, but you also get an existing market. Some people come every year. Some people who come every other year, you know, regular attendees. And you start to think, well, you know, you're serving the same people. You need to, how much do you need to give them something new? They're trusting this conference to open their eyes. How much are you trying to find new stuff for your existing market? And how much is it new people who may not be familiar with some of these ideas? And, you know, them hearing about story mapping, that may be a completely new idea. But your existing attendees know that you did that two years ago. So there's some of that going on. The other thing is Oradev is probably the second largest conference I've been to. It runs about 1,300 people. The only one I've been to which is bigger is NDC in Oslo. Why the Scandinavians okay, yeah. do them big, I don't know. NDC is like 1,500. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Big. When you've got that number of people there, you've got a lot of people who won't have heard this. By definition, if you've got 1,300 people, even if only 20% of them are first-time attendees, that's still 250 people. And they'll self-select your track yes. as well, won't they? Yeah. Yes. If you're a new speaker at the conferences, that's something you want to be aware of. Speaking from your perspective as an organizer, so you organize the Agile on the Beach conference. Yes. Yeah. 
And uh, sorry, just as an aside, tell us about that. So, what, what's the size and idea behind that conference? <laughs> yeah. So, Agile on the Beach. The big limit on size is um, fire regulations. There's a beach. In our- <laughs> there is a beach. The conference itself has a beach party. Where is the conference? It's in Falmouth in Cornwall. So, okay, okay. if you don't know England, look at We're that. We're not talking here. Uh, well, nearly. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know England, you know it has a bit that sticks out into the, the Atlantic. Yes. We're yes. kind of as, as far on that bit you can go and still have a city of a meaningful size. <laughs> so it's the warmest beach you could find in England, basically. Probably is, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, we have a beach party. Awesome. But some people are disappointed that the conference doesn't happen on the beach. But we've talked about doing things on the beach, but the acoustics, before you get to anything else. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Could be a problem. Do they want sand in their laptops? Uh, do you want sand in your laptop? Yes. But I'll tell you something else that's funny. Agile on the beach, like a lot of other conferences, you know, social media is a big part of it these days, selling tickets and joining the conference. Yeah. Last year, some of your listeners in, in England might remember we had some gales in about February last year, February 2018. Yes. And a Russian cargo ship was run aground on that beach. <laughs> and it was on the BBC. It was on the newspapers. And we stuck out some tweets saying, Oi, there's a ship on our beach. The Russians have come early. And oh, on Twitter, we included some of the Russians who come to the conference regularly. And we got a little bit of a meme going on Twitter. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. Our ticket sales spiked. Really? Honest to God, we sold more tickets on that day than in a month either side of it. So what you're saying to potential conference organizers is find a beach, a <laughs> Russian cargo ship. Yeah. Well, any cargo ship. Really. Oh, yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, look, you will be surprised. Look for those opportunities. It's all about the hustle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's hustle, yeah. Anyway, you don't have to have that to sell tickets. It helps, but you don't. Yeah. So every year we find a way of within fire regulations, getting more people to the conference. And so last year, we, I think we had 400 people in the building. Okay. The first year is 100, 100, 110. We had 400 people in the building. This year, we found another thing we can pull and we can get up to 450, including sponsors, speakers, which is, you know, it's getting to be a seriously large conference now. And the origins of it, and I'm sorry, I have to stray into the political again. Oh, go on, go on. In that it was underwritten by the European Union. Well, they do write checks. I mean, you know, <laughs> what are the advantages of the European Union? They write checks. <laughs> well, we, we are hosted by the University of Falmouth, and it's a beautiful campus. The oldest building is by 10 years old. And it was built largely the EU funding because in the UK, Cornwall's um, an area that has received European funding over the years. And in the early days, we had a program to bring Agile to Cornwall. Cornwall, believe it or not, has a tech sector. And some of the money government, because it was the UK government and the EU, some of the money that was going in there was directed towards helping um, technology businesses. And uh, one of the people responsible for this, his son works for ThoughtWorks. And if you come across the Agile space, you know ThoughtWorks are the, yes, yes. They're supposed to be the second most difficult company to get recruited by. 
Google are number one and ThoughtWorks are number two. I can easily believe that. Yes. Yeah. So Mike Cern worked for ThoughtWorks and between them, they had the idea, hang on, could we use some of this government EU money to help Cornish businesses get the agile thing? And that was where I kind of got involved and uh, we helped some Cornish businesses. And my God, could we help them. There's, there's, there's one guy I know. And when I first met him, his business was five people. Um, now he employs close to 150. Wow. Okay. And that was all because he, he got agile. His team got good at it. That opened some doors for him. Those doors led to more work. And, you know, for the money the government spent, you know, I used to be cynical about government spending money to help people, but my God, this proved it for, you know, the kind of funding they were putting in there, the jobs per pound spent is amazing. Interesting how small improvements can have large knock-on effects. Yeah. Just to completely uh, go off track, I'm currently talking to an architect, a small firm that has adopted agile practice. Oh, yeah. And it's absolutely wonderful experience. And anybody who's ever had done renovations to their house will know that it's actually you know, <laughs> really stressful. <laughs> Don't you just hate it when people say, can't software be more like builders? I know. And Anyone who have never had a builder in their house. I know. I said this to them because they actually use online tools and you can track the project at each level oh. and it's all wonderful. It's better run than a lot of software projects. I said to them, I said, oh, well, you know, us software people, we look up to you. <laughs> they nearly fell off their seats. Like. <laughs> yeah. Just to emphasize that point, it can have a dramatic effect. Yeah. Let's just go back to the conference for a minute. Oh, yeah. Go back to this topic of yeah. asking speakers to do new versus old material. Yeah. From my perspective, and I've organized a few conferences as well, you like to have a, a few new things, but just in order to have the confidence that you're delivering value to your attendees yes. and ultimately to your sponsors, yeah. having talks that you know are good on your agenda, that just seems like common sense to me. Oh, God, yes. This is the... Perhaps the most difficult balance to strike. There's so many balances you need to strike. And this perhaps is the most difficult one. How far do you play it safe and go for perhaps a tried and tested speaker with material that's been tested? And to what degree do you get a new voice in there who could fall flat on their face? You don't know what the presentation Which has happened, right? Yes. Or worse, Alan. Yeah. yeah. It could yeah. be a vendor product pitch. Ah, yes. You know, I've been caught out by those in the, in the past as yes. well. Just explain uh, to our listeners why that's such an awful thing. Yeah, well, you get people who go into a room and they think this is a talk on source code control or something or best branching strategy. And you've got a vendor there who wants to explain to them why TFS or whatever it is, don't, don't pick on TFS, whatever source code control system they're pushing is, is the greatest and they want to talk about all the problems you have but in the context of their tool and show how their tool makes everything easy and solves all the problems. And people are sitting there and most of them don't have decision of how to select this tool or not. Yeah. They're pretty helpless. You know, it means nothing to them. And it always feels bad to walk out, but that's what they want to do. And quite often the people who are doing these presentations because they're talking about their tool, they're not the most thrilling of presentations. You often end up with a boring presentation about... Yeah, lots of boxes and arrows and all this stuff. Uh, yes. Uh, and um, you're thinking, how does this apply to my world? And you know, the problem is the conference organizers, it's very difficult to avoid them because short of 
interviewing every speaker, which I know one conference does, or reviewing speakers' past talks online, which I know some conferences that do that. But both of them are really labor-intensive, and most conferences don't have the capacity to do that. Short of doing that, there's nothing to stop somebody standing up and talking about something completely different to what they wrote in the synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why some, especially conferences in the, the, the non-tech sector tend to insist on PowerPoints being submitted weeks in advance. But I mean, in tech, it's not the norm. In tech, well, yes, it's not the norm. Their laptop. It's, it's happened to me, I think maybe twice, but once, just once a six in the mind. Um, and the people who want to review my presentation in advance. And uh, some of your listeners may get the joke here. This was a project management group. Uh, of course. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and on the phone, went to the slides and he had actually taken the trouble to review my slides. And he gets this one slide and people who are in the agile project management space are going to get the joke right off here, but I'll explain it. Okay. He got this one slide and he said, I think you've got a mistake here. You've made a typo. This says um, ESDM. Uh, that, what do you mean to say? <laughs> and uh, for those of you not in the know, DSDM, Dynamic Systems Development Methodology, is a technique which claims to be agile, and some people are skeptical, but is also compatible with the British standard for project management, PRINCE2. So if you're in the project management space, you should be aware there's a technique called DSDM. <laughs> And it showed that, that you know the audience I was speaking to really were um, a lot less knowledgeable than I was expecting. Yeah, and you've got to get that right. Yeah, if you, if your talk is too technical in that sense and you're using acronyms, then you lose them. Don't you? Yes, that's why you need being able to see your audience is so important because there are times I've been delivering a talk and you realise the people in the room. This is it can go either way. It can be, this is going over their heads. I need to slow down. I need to explain every TLA. I need to just go labor everything. I need to cut out some of the more advanced material on the fly. And you can also get a situation where you realize that this means nothing to the people in the room. It's either so junior to them, they are way above this, or the experience I once had some years ago, doing an agile introduction course, not not a conference talk, and I realised that you know, as everyone who's been in agile knows the agile manifesto and why agile is written, and we give it a spiel on what the manifesto is and why it's there. And I suddenly realised, looking at the people in the room, that most of these were recent graduates. They were like less than five years out of college, and the idea that the waterfall ever made sense was strange to them. Oh, lucky them. Yeah. Yes. Wow. It actually changed the material I started delivering. And I realized there's no point putting up the waterfall and talking why Agile is better than this. You really need to forget about that and just talk about Agile and, and what it is. But over time, if you're new to speaking, don't be worried that you can't do this, you know. But over time, it's one of those things you learn, and some people are better than others. Yeah. And you also, in those situations, you do kind of go off-piste. Yeah. Let's talk about how you got into speaking at conferences. Yeah. Were you pushed or did you fall? <laughs> uh, well, I was kind of pushed into doing a talk at a youth group. Uh, I was living out in California for a couple of years, and um, 
before I got big into Agile, I was a big C++ programmer. Right. I used to belong to a gang called the Association of C and C++ Users, ACCU. And they oh, run yes. their own big conference. Yes, I was do, involved. Yeah, I was involved with that conference for a few years. I was on the panel and so on. And I was living out in California and they had a local meetup group there. And I went along to the talks every month. And the organizer, a guy called um, Reg Charney, he, he encouraged me to do a talk. That was the first talk I did in, in a bookshop Wonderful. in California. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And how did it go? Well, enough for me to want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you were booed out of the room anyway. No, no. It, it Which, was by on... the way, I mean, that's, that's an important thing, right? I mean, a lot of people are afraid of doing it because they think they'll make a fool of themselves. Yeah. But yeah. I, I find audiences, especially in the, the meetups or user groups, yes. are actually very supportive. I have never seen anyone booed out of the room. The worst that will happen is a few people will get up and leave the room. But they might have to leave anyway, right? Yes. They, some people are going to leave the room anyway. It, you, you could be Kent Beck. You could be Jeff Sutherland. You could be one of the biggest names. And people are going to have to leave the room. They get phone calls. They, they need bio break. They have to leave and catch trains. So don't assume because people are leaving that they don't like your talk. They could honestly have walked into the wrong room. But the worst I've seen happen is people leaving a room. I've never even seen it happen where a bulk of people, a lot of people have left the room. You know, those kind of things, they exist in your nightmares, but I've never seen it. I've never even heard of that, I think. Yeah. So anyway, getting back, I, so I did this talk and it was well received. And as it happened, I was moving back to the, the, the UK, uh, um, was it a year or so later? And uh, ACCU's big conference is in Oxford in April every year. And it clicked that I'm going to be back in time to go to the conference. And you know what? Okay. If I talk, I get a free ticket. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Okay. Yes. So Some of that Californian hustle definitely rubbed <laughs> off on you. It rubbed off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so actually, I started speaking at the ACCU. Like I've been writing for the journals for a while. Um, largely to get free, to get free tickets. tickets. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, it's a really good technique. Yes. Yeah. And then I, I got a new job when I got back and I kept doing it because I realized that if you go to your uh, boss and say, can I have three days off to go to a conference? And by the way, can you pay £400 for a ticket and give me another £400 for travel and accommodation? You've got to sell it. Big ask. Yeah. yeah. If you go to your boss and say, I've been asked to speak at this conference. Can I have three days off? And our logo is going to be in the bottom corner of every slide. Oh, yeah, we'll get some publicity for this. And at the very least, you've got a free ticket. If you're doing well, you've probably got free accommodation, maybe even free travel. Travel's paid for. Yeah. You're not asking for that. And that is a much more appealing prospect to a boss. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I realized this was a better way of getting, and in fact, getting into conferences. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'll tell you, I was at this place and we were C++ programmers and I was really into ACCU and I was speaking at conferences and all this. And one year I got some other people from the company to go and they all had to get the time off and the money and the funding. And the next year, the company said to me, we can't afford to have those people out of the office, budget, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, right, I need these people to learn stuff. The next year, I made sure they all submitted talks. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I had three or four colleagues on the program with paid accommodation, paid travel, oh, and free tickets. Yeah. That's the way to do it. That is the yeah. way to do it. So that was how I got into it. And, you know, just one thing leads to another. And 
I started to find that I actually kind of enjoyed this stuff. And I also, that kind of led me towards starting to do talks inside companies about this stuff. You sometimes get invited in. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that if you have done a few conference talks, you do get direct invitations from managers inside companies. There's a lot of companies that have hundreds of developers. Oh, God, yes. I remember one time the, I think it was the, the Department of Pensions and Welfare. The UK brought a couple of us in and they had, they had 400 people in a room. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of the more enlightened companies have their own internal conferences. So some companies run tech talk programs. Yeah. And I used to run one on an employer years ago. And if you're running a tech talk program, your bread and butter are your own employees. But once in a while, if you can bring somebody in from outside, and sometimes you can bring people in for free. You just ask one of these speakers and, and they'll do it for free. Sometimes you need to pay them a little bit of money. As a speaker, you get invited in, you do these things. Some companies have internal conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Either in their own offices or they'll even take people offsite. And um, another thing I got is when I started pushing out the whole no projects idea, somebody, some, I, I won't mention, but one of the big banks in London saw this and they emailed me later on and said, could you repeat that at our internal conference? We're trying to wake up the bank to new ideas. Could you do it? And normally with these things, you say, sure, I'll do it. I'll, I'll get to speak to a room full of employees at a bank and the bank might hire me. Oh, yes. yes it's a yeah. sales opportunity. <laughs> but on this occasion, I said, you know what? You want me to do the no projects talk. This flies in the face of the way banks run. I'm not going to get any work out of this. Yeah. Can you pay me? And they said... Yeah, we understand that. How much do you want? <laughs> well, <laughs> the right people to ask. Yes. And I think I got, I can't remember the number, but it was towards a thousand pound for turning up. Yeah, don't undervalue yourself. Don't, yeah. If, I mean, if that does happen in your speaking. Oh, yeah. Think of it as, as you know, it's, it's bringing a senior architect in for a day. I mean, it's, yeah. it's proper yeah. day rates, right? Yeah. Let's be honest here. Most conference speaking is done for free. It is. And what you're getting out of it is you are getting to tell the world what you think. You are getting to push your brand. Particularly if you're an author like me, you're getting to wave your books at people. If you're a consultant, you're getting to say, buy me. Some people aren't any of those things. Some people do it for the kick of doing it. Once in a while, you'll find a conference that will pay you. Most of them ones that pay, they won't be a great deal. I have one friend who is, I probably shouldn't name him, but he's a very successful architect consultant. He's got a couple of really well-selling books. And he said to me last summer, he said, "Um, I'm now starting to charge for conferences. Now, he, to my mind, has broken through. And only now is he feeling confident enough to say to people, I have a speaking fee. Yeah. Yeah. So most of this is for free. It's for personal publicity. I tend to expect conferences to pay accommodation, travel. Some of them don't. And the policies on travel vary. It's As a conference organizer, what is the right policy? Do you pay everyone a flat fee? Do you pay them expenses? What do you do about the simple fact that if you're bringing somebody from California to London, it's going to cost more than bringing them from Enfield to London? Yeah. yeah. Do you pay them the same? Do you allow them to pocket the difference? It's an absolute minefield. There's a lot of difficulties around this. And this goes back to the issue of new speakers versus old, yes. right? Because 
new speakers will tend to be at an earlier stage in their career. Their bosses probably aren't paying. Yeah. You know, you probably want to have a, uh, increase the diversity of your speaker base as well, which means you're dealing with people who might have different personal economic resources. Yeah. It's very tricky, especially if you're yeah. running a community conference. Yes. You know, which never breaks even. That's the other thing to be aware of. There are community conferences, which ACCU is a great example, organized by the ACCU, largely for the ACCU. Agile on the Beach started as a community conference. We defining our community is a little bit difficult. I think most of the conferences Vox Gigs involved with, I would consider community conferences. Yeah, mostly. Some conferences are out and out sponsorship events. Some of them they are run by or at least bankrolled by a big name, Accenture, Microsoft, somebody like that. Yeah. And there are some conferences which are out to make money. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's legitimate. I say it's legitimate because my wife's a professional conference organizer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Some of our dinner time conversations I can would, be quite yeah. boring. Yes. But her conferences, very different segment, very different segment she's in. Her conferences are there to make a profit. And most of the speakers are there to promote their own brand. And those conferences actually have economics where you should perhaps be looking to say, are you going to pay or how are you going to promote me? It's a bit unfair to say that sometimes I feel to ask community conferences. So be aware there's different types of conferences. Yeah. I think that is important because sometimes you get speakers, you know, complaining on Twitter that conferences aren't paying yeah. to talk or, or thinking that they should always be paid. But yeah. I think it's very important to remember that often community conferences are a labor of love. Yes. Yes. Now, the flip side to that about being paid is at a commercial conference, even many of those speakers have bought their slots. Oh, that's the other. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's pay for play at some of them. Yes. That's another dynamic. And the way you can usually spot these is they've got their logo, their list as a sponsor, they may have a stand. So if you're clever, you can spot them. And some conferences like ACCU and Agile on the Beach, they subtly hint that some slots are paid for. Other conferences, there's one I shouldn't name in London, it's all quite mixed up and you can't tell what's sponsored in advance and what's not. As a speaker, that's really frustrating because yeah. most conferences, they ask for speakers, they review all the pro, they review all the submissions, they say who's in and then sorry, people who aren't. This conference I'm thinking of, they dribble out the speaker acceptances. And I think what they're doing is they're selling the slots. And when they can't sell slots, they take in some non-payers. They fill it up. Yeah. It's a fragmented industry. There's all sorts of things going on. Yeah. Let's talk about economics for a little bit. Yeah. Maybe just from the perspective of the freelance consultant. So if I may presume to yes. <laughs> talk about how you make a living or at least guess. So, well, the books don't pay enough, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I would be relatively similar, right? So you've got clients, yeah. conferences, and, and hopefully that picks a bit of business. Yeah. You have books on the subject matter that you've read. I mean, one interesting question is, do you find that speaking at conferences helps you sell the books? Is it difficult to tell? It's really quite difficult to tell. It's easier when you... So some of my books have been written with a system called LeanPub. Okay. And if anyone out there feels like writing a book, I cannot recommend LeanPub highly enough. Interesting. Okay. And yeah. just to be clear, clearly your books must be on Agile, 
methodologies and such like, right? <laughs> the, uh, yes. Most of them are somehow agile related. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people have written books on speaking as well. So yes. I, but these are mostly agile. I hesitate because uh, one of my books, um, Business Patterns for Software Developers, probably has the word agile in there, but it's not about agile. Okay. It's about the business, the patterns you see in software products. And everyone interprets for software developers in the title as for coders. And actually, I interpret software developers very widely. And as somebody once said, it's a 101 for product managers. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. The title's yeah. the most difficult thing to get right in a book. Isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. Just returning to the kind of economics of a conference. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely makes a difference to you then if the conference can pay for board and lodging and travel yeah. and, and potentially a, a stipend of some kind. Yes. So this is going to sound arrogant and I feel bad about saying it, but I reached a point a couple of years ago where I only speak at conferences that ask me. The call for papers is how I got into and most of the conferences I've ever spoken at have been a call for papers and I've submitted and I've been accepted in competition with others. Yeah. But I got to the point a few years ago where I'm going to so many conferences. I thought, look, I, I can't spend my whole life going to conferences. I've got a filter. And actually, if I simply filter and say, the people who ask me, I may say yes, I may say no, but I won't do call for papers. That just cuts out so much work. But this is the rewards. I mean, you're, you're reaping what you've sowed now yes. after having done yeah. it for a number of years. Yeah. And hand in hand with that, I kind of got to the point where if there's no expenses, there's got to be a damn good reason for being there, yeah. which is why you might see me at more London conferences because I live in London and it's a tube right away. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm getting to the point where I am starting to say, well, how do I justify this financially? Because it is true. I've spoken at conferences and afterwards I have had contact from somebody who said, hey, I saw you speak at a conference. Can you come and do some work for me? Yeah. It has happened. Yeah, yeah. I do not find it's every event. I know people in a similar situation to me, and they find it is every event. What are you doing wrong, Alan? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Yeah, yeah. I suspect it's because the people who said that are talking a very code-centric technical stuff to a very technical audience. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. They're selling a specific... Yeah. My mission in life, because this is what I've lived, is I was a hardcore coder. And I've, I've come into the rest of the world and realized that the rest of the world makes a difference to the coding. And I guess my mission is trying to help the coders understand the rest of the world and explain it. And that means that, you know, that there isn't always, there's maybe a book to buy, but there isn't like a, a training event or a workshop that directly. There has to be an openness to, to, to understanding that yeah, there's yeah. a problem that, that you can help solve. And perhaps I should be better at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being mean. Yeah. Do you still speak at meetups and then this, those kind of smaller events? Yes, yes, yeah. I'm more than happy to speak at meetups. Meetups are slightly different because meetups are used in an evening event, which by almost by definition means that they need to be within a radius of my house where I can get there and back. Yeah, it's a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, I need to be living somewhere. I need to be staying somewhere to do it. In many ways, I prefer meetups. I kind of wish meetups would, would ask me more often because it's more intimate. Yeah. You get to have more conversations. I run a few meetups and certainly I would feel intimidated asking sort of top line conference speakers to come to my little meetup with, where I only have you know, yes. 40 attendees at a time. Yeah. But they are much friendlier, aren't they? Yes. Yes. I think you're right there. I think it's something I've not really dawned on me that as I've perhaps 
become more of a regular conference speaker, that has perhaps made people think about inviting me to meetups twice. But yeah, I find the conversation's better, the social dynamics are better. Certainly, if you've got new material, going back to where it started with, you've got a better rapport with the audience. Say, so what do you think of that? How do you take you? It's easier to take questions. Yes. Yeah. It's easier to have those really powerful discussions because it is a smaller venue and you're more accessible to yes. people yeah. who've come along. Yeah. Let's get political again, shall we? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're sitting in a safe country. You know, you can talk about this. This is like a spectator sport for you. Uh, Some well, of us are in I know, I know. Well, this is actually, well, this is more US centered. So yeah. I grew up on meetup.com and uh, organizing my meetups through them. And yeah. a lot of the meetups I attend go through meetup.com. But it appears now that uh, we work both it appears now that they're selling them again yes and i'm very concerned about the impact on the community yeah i just wondered what what you thought was going to happen with all that i well you know it's obvious why we work are selling them anyone who follows the news know that we work in a bit of a mess but i have to own up here there's meetup and there's What's the other one which isn't meetup but is very like meetup eventbrite eventbrite yeah Honestly, I can't keep track of which one's which. Yeah. I have accounts on both. And there are occasions where I've been rummaging through Meetup. Where the hell's that event I've signed up? Where the hell's that event? And when I, I search my mailbox. That's on the other one. <laughs> yeah. You know, Eventbrite just buy Meetup and in, in hassle. So Meetup has been a great boon for, for Meetups. And it's difficult to see what's going to happen because didn't WeWork start charging people to use it? This is the big problem in the community. They sort of floated a trial balloon, shall we say, that they were going to yeah. charge $2 per attendee. And then there was oh, effectively a, a massive pushback from organizers. Yes. It would have killed most meetups. Yeah. I heard so many people saying, we're going to leave meetup. You know, we're, we're out of here. I, I can't stop following the Fed was happening with it. But I did hear a lot of people going, it's tricky, isn't it? In that I wonder sometimes, as we move to a more remote style of working and more people work from home and work away from the office, we're still humans and we still need social contact. Yes, we do. And conferences and meetups, I think to some degree, plug the hole that is left that was going to the office. Yeah. And my guess is, you know, Vox Giga is all about this. You know, there are more conferences, there are more meetups. Which is wonderful, right? Wonderful. That's why you exist. That's why meetup exists. But it's the old problem of how do you get enough money for meetup and Vox Gig to do their stuff without killing the goose that lays the golden egg. It's a little bit like the problem of funding open source, isn't it? Because yeah. everybody benefits. Yeah. But the people with the money are the, the commercial companies. Yes. There's a disconnect somehow between the yeah. funding of a fundamental piece of the foundation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a quandary, really. Yeah. The thing about open source is I've noticed that open source, the story you get and the story that appears in the paper about all these benevolent programmers writing open source for free, if you scratch the surface of just about every open source project, there's something behind it. It's either like Apache and IBM are picking up the bills. IBM, IBM came, yeah. yeah? Or it's like the Linux thing where there's all these packaging companies behind it who are doing stuff. You know, there's some model behind it. And perhaps... That's what we haven't found that model for Meetup and Co. That how do you propagate this? How do you fund it? And perhaps we were, you know, when we were bought Meetup, I thought, what the? But, you know, I know we work in London. I've spoken at quite a few events that have been yeah. hosted by WeWork. 
yeah, I guess there was synergies there in that we were pushing their brand. It would be really fantastic. And they would put all of that money that they'd received into bolstering the communities because they had venues as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the venues are pretty damn good. It's a shame. Alan, we've come to the end, but one final question. For all the um, Russian ship captains out there, (laughs) when is the next Agile on the beach and which (laughs) which sector should they set? (laughs) Is it July the 10th and 11th, 2020? It will be our 10th year. Fantastic. Yeah. So we've grown a lot of time. The call for papers is open, opened yesterday. So uh, I don't know when this is going out, but it's going to f- close on the 21st of December. You have to do this before Christmas. <laughs> and we, we do take new speakers. Tickets are on sale now. We put tickets on sale. Before we have any speakers on the program, we start selling tickets. Awesome. And we have already sold out of our first tranche of super mega early bird tickets. Oh, people must really want to see those ships landing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a beach party. We have a boat party. We have a pasty night. Awesome. We have taken the decision to tune down our publicity around our social events and our party atmosphere because we've kind of cottoned on that it might be putting off some managers from signing oh, yes. on the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, you, yeah, you, you know, you need that to justify this to your manager. Well, if you're setting out from uh, Vladivostok <laughs> in April... <laughs> I always feel bad, particularly when I get to invite American keynotes. I have to say to them, when you come, if you accept, you know, first of all, you're going to fly from your hometown, New York to London, which is like six hours. You are then going to get on a train for five hours. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize England is a big country. Yeah, it was made a big difference last year. An airline started running flights from Heathrow down there. And <laughs> That's made... handy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll tell you what, though. For many people, the conference starts on the train as it leaves London. And you can follow the conference Twitter stream. And the day before the conference, you will see people tweeting out, my train's leaving London, 10, 12, whatever. Who else is on the train? What wonderful promotion as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and there's you get pictures coming out. You know, there was one year we had Dan North coming down. And some of your listeners probably know him. Yeah. His train got delayed. So him and some other speakers and some conference attendees, they raided the bar on the train. <laughs> and there's pictures of them drinking themselves <laughs> on the delayed train. A pre-conference. Yeah. So you were lucky yeah. they didn't run their talks on the, on the train. And- oh, well, but, but, <laughs> you know, as an attendee, for someone who might be used to seeing you know, Dan North or, or someone of similar status, you get an opportunity to get a one-on-one with him on yeah. the train. He's accessible. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, this has been uh, really delightful. <laughs> Wonderful talk. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. 
If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at boxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. Step forward.